0: At In situ, app-based monitoring and remote data collection are more than just catchphrases. For more than a decade, the company's user experience, software, and product development teams have been laser-focused on designing programs, platforms, and equipment that modernize how customers access and manage their monitoring data. It all starts with the customer, understanding the where, what, how, and why of the job, and then asking the simple question, could we do it better? That query and the innovation it's engendered have put In Situ at the forefront of digital technology for environmental water monitoring and changed the trajectory of the industry. Hello everyone and welcome to Aquapod. I'm Helen Taylor, content manager at InSitu, And today I'm pleased to have two of my co-workers in the studio with me, Tom Canuta and Matt Trumbo. Welcome Matt and Tom.
1: Hi, Helen. Hi, Helen.
0: Hi. So Tom is in situ's product owner for software, and Matt is our director of product management overseeing environmental product strategy. And given your titles, it's no surprise that today we're going to talk about the evolving role of software in environmental monitoring. And how advancements in instrumentation, mobile apps, and data services are accelerating the shift from handhelds to app-based setups, and from intermittent data collection to continuous monitoring with data access from anywhere. So I'd like to start by taking a step back in time. And Matt, what was the state of the industry in terms of instrumentation and software when you came to In-Situ about eight years ago?
2: Yeah, it was about eight years ago. It was 2014. Um... So my my background is software engineering, specifically image processing. And so uh, when I when I joined in situ, it was this interesting interesting mix of where are we going to take that kind of experience and skills, and what does it look like in the environmental industry? It was and in, in, you know just kind of backing up even a step further. Product management is about finding problems and then giving them to really good engineering teams for them to go create solutions and so that was the first place we started was like we went out to scientists to our environmental engineers and we just started asking them a lot of questions and saying okay well what are you doing with this stuff like how do you use our software today how do you use our instrumentation today and and then how would you like it to be better then we also watched them, right? Because a lot of uh, a lot of the feedback you get, some of the very best stuff is just watching people do their jobs. And for all of our uh, our customers that I have watched over the years, thank you so much. Um, <laughs> your your feedback, both verbal and nonverbal, has been really appreciated. And uh, so it was really awesome to just get out there and spend. I mean, we we I spent just months basically doing nothing but 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 listening and and observing and those problems started to become apparent that people were people were bringing out giant laptops into the field they were they were bringing out dedicated handhelds that they were they felt were clunky and they were too expensive for what they got and the fact that they were going out into the field at all they were there were a lot of places where it was so obvious that literally you're just there to plug in a serial cable, and that was that was that was crazy. That um, they felt that that was crazy, or in some cases they didn't. They were just used to it, and uh, so those were the things we brought back and started to say, could we could we look at this this problem set a little differently, bring it to our engineers and try and go take some of these modern tools like apps that you mentioned, mobile apps. Um, some of this, you know, it's, it's a buzzword, but the cloud, you know, how does the mm-hmm. cloud play into these kinds of things? And, uh, yeah, I'm happy to say it's, it's really come a long way since then.
0: When you were hearing from customers back then, was there sort of a disgruntled acceptance of the situation or a real cry for change or what did you, what were you hearing?
2: Oh, I, the, yes. Uh, but the, the, the problem with that statement is uh, the past tense. Uh, uh, there, there, this, this, There is kind of this disgruntled acceptance in a lot of ways. But I, I think it's starting to transition away from that. I think that people are starting to realize that there are different solutions out there. Um, that you know, There's this expectation as some of these, these companies that are really focused on UX and other places of our, of our life. And, and when I say UX, I mean user experience. We want you to be able to figure out your, your way around an app because there's common design language there. We have expectations. We have expectations around how returns work. We have expectations around how all this stuff functions in other places in our life that we bring into our professional sphere. And uh, so by we, we are yes we are able to start to bring some of those into other places. There's uh, there's less disgruntled acceptance. There's more like people raising their eyebrows and saying, "Wait, could we do better?" And we'd like to be the people that do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Tom, I want to bring you in. You bring an interesting perspective because for several years you were working on the front lines uh, in a support role, correct? Is yes, that right? that's correct. And that now you're. Um, in your role as product owner, sort of guiding where this, and, and let's talk Let's talk about Vucitu. What did that experience, taking those calls and actually talking with the customers who were having issues, <laughs> how does that inform your current role?
1: Sure. It's not even just that role, but also quite a bit of field work myself that has guided it and mm-hmm. put me in the shoes of the customers that we're working with to understand the problems that you deal with in the field. Charging a laptop that's dedicated and it has a super short battery life because you're in cold temperatures. Um, So all of those experiences, plus talking to our customers, have guided this whole user experience um, paradigm that we're really trying to push forward so that our customers have They don't have to think about what they're doing when they're using our software or equipment. They want to get the data out of these instruments. So let's make it as easy as possible to get the data. We don't want them to have to think about using the software. Is it some complicated uh, process to connect to the instrument? No, it connects automatically. Do they have to enter these different serial communications to connect to it? They don't have to do any of that they want to set up a log, everything's right there in front of them. Calibrate right there. They don't have to look through a manual, compare some numbers. The software is doing it all for them.
0: And this is all happening on their phone?
1: This is all happening on their phone or a tablet. Um, They don't need any sort of special or dedicated device to it. You can just use your your powerful cell phone that's in your pocket. Maybe your company provides one, um, but it will run on any Android or iOS device.
0: Okay, great. Well, we'll talk more about some of the features and how they relate to specific applications a little a little uh, later on, but I want to stick with the development process. Matt, maybe you can take us again back a little ways and, and talk us through a little bit about how the company, the team developed and set goals um, for the software development piece and how that all worked.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a really, it's kind of an interesting story. It actually extends past Way back beyond my time here, I've been here over eight years now. Um, but In Situ's been doing mobile apps for a really long time. Um, we actually our first mobile app; it was the first one in the industry. We like to to say that a lot, um, but it is the first one in the industry. Uh, it was iSitu back in the day that connected the Smart Troll, um, and it was it was awesome for for what it was. And so we. Well, we, we had a lot of feedback on it, had a lot of things we felt could be better. We, And that's kind of when I started entering the, the scene there was as we were moving towards development of our ViewSitu mobile app. Uh my, myself and one of the other product managers at the time, we, we were looking at all these problems and, and the things from our observations in the field that I mentioned earlier and, uh, started to really get some, get some vision for, we could, we could do something that talked directly to the instruments instead of having these, these crazy little dongles that, that came off to go do it, which is necessary in some cases, but they could talk directly to it. It could, um, it could really start to, we could, we could integrate not just, here's some numbers that are coming out of your instrument, we could start to put like pictures in there that showed you exactly how to hold the the device. And, and you know, we, we were talking with the engineers like, yeah, we can put a, we put a picture in there. We can, we could, uh, we could even like, we could, we could use the accelerometer that's in there to like tell you when it's in the right orientation or if you're doing it wrong in some of these ways. We actually start to put like what Tom was saying there. We, we could start to actually put some some guardrails up so that you have to think less. We like to say we want you to hand it to your most junior employee and be confident that they can be successful. And uh, that we, so we're, we're looking for ways to do that. I'm sure there are, there's always more that we could do. Um, again, dear listener, we, we would love to hear that. <laughs> um, and uh, so let me plug that a little bit here. But I, I'm really happy with with how some of that stuff went and that collaborative process where we actually were out with customers observing taking that presenting it as problems and then found all kinds of really unique ways from our engineers to apply technologies or even develop technologies to go solve them within mobile apps
0: so you're looking at what other apps are doing but you're also looking at what can we do specific to our users
2: yeah it's a really good point um I, I You know, one of the things I think we really innovated on and do uh, at a level that I honestly don't know anybody else that does it quite like us is we have a huge amount of engineering and intellectual property in how we do serial communication over Bluetooth. Bluetooth is... um, Uh, pardon me while I get a little technical for a second here, but it it loses packets a lot. Um, There's a lot of interruptions. There can be corruption of data that happens in that wireless transmission. We hear it as maybe slightly lower audio quality on your Bluetooth headphones and things like that. But I mean, think of that in terms of how you're getting data back and forth. And so we have some really significant error correction and error detection protocols that we've implemented and that do so in a way that it still allows you to get a lot of speed across that serial connection. I, I, I could I could really talk our ear off for way too long about a lot of this stuff here, and I won't. Um, but that that is one simple way that we've done that there that was completely unique. But on the other hand, you talked about you know using other technologies to to bring it in. We have you know our our apps. We have both iOS and Android apps, and they run off the same code base. We you know there's huge amounts of existing technology out there that let you leverage the same code and take it for the different design patterns and the different hardware needs of the different platforms. And we can do that and be confident that we're we're making um really, really good and clean and consistent design across both both platforms and not have we we don't have to worry about this one has different features than that one. We don't have to worry about this one has different bugs than that one. This mm-hmm. one has different quirks than that one. Um, and that, that's—I think—that's probably one of the best examples of us using those existing technologies and bringing it into a place that uh, is innovative to this environmental industry.
0: And Tom is the one sort of, you know, setting these development priorities. Um, is there something you would add to that in terms of the process, how it's evolved, how you, um, how you work on the app with the team these days, as opposed to how it grew over time?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's. Definitely an emphasis always, I'll probably beat this one to death during this podcast is the user experience. And mm-hmm. so we really, we really focus on that. So the whole the development process is how can we build this product that looks and feels consistent to the customer and is intuitive to use. And so that's, that's really our, our driving force behind that. We want to make sure we stay consistent with where the buttons are on the screen, what the behavior in the app is between iOS and Android. Both of those are going to be the same. Um, but then as we're going through and actually designing each feature set, we want to completely understand how our users are going to use it and make sure that we are presenting with the, the happy path so that they can... The what? The happy path. So we don't want them okay. to ever get yeah, sure, into... Sure. The Some sort of like a roadblock or a dead end where they don't know what to do and the, the app is confusing. It's not guiding them through that. So again, it's that the user experience. How can the customer be comfortable and confident in the software so that at the end of the day, they get the data that they need out of our instruments? And and Tom's not going to toot his own
2: horn on this a little bit here, <laughs> but I'll, I'll toot it for him. Uh, one of the things we do, totally unique. I've I've worked in several places in, in software doing various things similar to this, um, different industries sometimes other things. I one of the things we do it in situ that's really unique that Tom has championed in in our company is we don't you know I again getting into some more technical engineering type things. I think that's what you want, Helen. Absolutely. Um, the uh, but you know, the way that engineers usually work is they are kind of handed a list of requirements from, from your product managers. Product managers are responsible for going out and figuring out all these kinds of things. And they come back, here's a list of requirements, engineering checks, a bunch of boxes, and away you go. And just what Tom was talking about there, that we, we put UX first, we put that user experience first. Um, is we, we really have that integrated into our process. And so what Tom leads there, as we go through defining any particular feature or new product or anything from a software perspective, is that we actually list, we, we call them user stories. That's a pretty common term mm-hmm. in software, is this idea of telling a story about these are the tasks, these are the things that, that users are trying to accomplish. And then that gets handed, not straight to the engineers, to a dedicated user experience team. We have people that it is their job to understand how these things, the psychology of how people want to use things, and they do the first pass on what it actually looks like in terms of UI and behavioral patterns. And so, Tom, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the example mapping stuff that we do. I I mean, it it gets handed into that process next then.
1: Right. So we, we take each requirement or each feature that we're going to build, and we put it we try to determine what the objective of this feature is who's going to be using it what's the the persona of that customer why do they want to use this what will make them successful in using that and then we try to understand how they're going to be using it what potential issues they run into and then we design the the actual interface around all of those uh qualifiers or issues that we come up with so that we then have a very clear roadmap for what we're going to be building because we know what we need to make for the customer so that they can do whatever they need to with their instruments. So it makes the whole development process a lot more fluid in that we are having the user just be the the forefront of what we're building. Um, we want the customer be successful in what they're doing and so that is what we're thinking about when we're making and designing these features
0: and that seems like that would be a heavy lift because you have to do that for every product or or every instrument right it is a
1: heavy lift but then it ends up saving a lot of time in the long run because as you're building the actual feature you already know what you're going to build Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you don't run into these issues Six weeks into development, and then you have to go back to the drawing board I to see. talk about them. So the the idea is to um, understand what you're going to build in almost entirety before you begin building it, so that it's a lot easier to follow that plan and execute upon it. And cool. it's
2: it's really interesting. Like I, you know, I know a lot of our of our listeners are going to be engineers, technical people that are working on projects and stuff, and I like. I, again, both Tom and I have, have technical backgrounds and have have been on the other side of that divide. And like, oh my gosh, like when you're in development on something, I'm looking at Tom and kind of laughing here. Like there's so many moments that you come out and you're like, okay, well, that was, that was wrong. (laughs) This requirement was wrong. We, we had the, we got to completely reset here and it just fits and starts and it leads to gotchas. Maybe, hopefully you catch most of them in the middle of your development, but Maybe some of them happen afterwards. It's like, oh, we never thought that this user was going to d- go do that, or that this button would get pressed 19 times in rapid succession, or <laughs> you know, whatever it is sure. that causes it. And um, by having all this upfront work to around the usability, making sure that we're understanding not just happy path, but also other ways that people could get themselves into trouble or difficulties they might be having as they go about what they're doing, we're we're able to be a lot more efficient with a. Really, quite small team of developers, and but yet really do some cool things that uh, that actually get the user that data, allow them to do their jobs transparently.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of other cool things, let's uh, shift a little bit and talk about Hide Review, um, and let's kind of take the same approach. Take us back a little bit, Matt, to sort of the genesis of that. I know that that was. Your baby, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Hydra views. I Hydra-Vue, ViewLink, View Situ, uh V-Situ maybe a little less. There is I came a little bit more in the middle of in path into mobile apps and and that kind of um, you know handheld software. Um, but uh the Hydra was was something I worked on from the very beginning. Uh, it started life, started life as a uh, here's some in situ trivia for you. Started life as like an aquaculture. Uh, oh, really? monitoring so yeah so, yeah, I yeah, yeah it was like supposed to be there were there were like pictures of fish ponds and things and, <laughs> and like and uh, that's where it was supposed to be this cloud kind of thing there and we came in pretty quickly and again we were there were there were engineers just kind of developing in that direction because they that's what we thought we wanted to do and after we started talking to more of our users and things it was like oh no 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 we have a we have a different idea for this is what users actually want and
0: what did they need um, what 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 was the big problem there that you
2: were solving oh my gosh so um, there are many um, but the the critical one is people you know, it costs money it it costs time to go out there and collect your data in the field I, I mentioned at the beginning of this that we we had a you know, we watched people going out there literally and being sort of like human USB cables, <laughs> and just like that's all, all they do is just you know plug in cables, download the data for for a while, and then drive drive to the next place or back to civilization, three hours, four hours away, um, or you know jump in the helicopter. In some of the worst case scenarios, right? Like we were, we went to Canada and, and watched some people do some just amazing stuff where you are actually chartering a helicopter to go out there and plug in a USB cable and download your data versus could you kind of get that data remotely like I don't I don't live in a world where I wonder whether my garage door is up or down I, I I have that at my house right like I can pull up an app and see um I can we all have doorbells or many of us have doorbells now right or we can see who's ringing the doorbell or what's going on and all that kind of stuff and why why can't we have that? in environmental software. And so we watched people. I, I think there was maybe less desire for something that was, you know, we, we heard kind of more stated ideas around um, mobile apps and trying to make that whole situation more streamlined in that regard. On the remote monitoring side, people have pretty, pretty serious preconceived notions, um, right? Because telemetry is not new. It's been around, like, you know, cellular satellite devices have been around since, like, the early 90s. And uh, this is a very stable industry and people people stay in it and they know what's going on. It's just that people have had really bad experiences with it. And mm-hmm. on the other end, it doesn't solve any problems for them. They just, you know, something sends them a CSV, you know, once a day or once a week or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. And uh, yeah, this doesn't really save me time. And then when things go really wrong, um, when, when, you know, I can't figure out how to set it up and make it work, I can't tell whether it's working. Um, I, uh, I, um, you know, when, when something goes wrong, I end up going out there. there. We heard from a lot of people that were users of telemetry and cloud software, um, that they, they felt like, ah, I'm not sure that telemetry actually saves me any money or time. Okay, like, I, 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 set it up to like go and keep me from going out into the field as much. And I don't know, uh, you know, right or wrong, um, they, they feel like maybe it keeps them out there more. Um, that, that there's, there's other sides to it there. And so that, that was, that was what we really came back with at the start of the, of the HydroView project was, okay, so could we, could we do better? Could we, could we go bring the idea of your networked thermostat or doorbell or whatever? Like we're, we don't have those problems with those. We could, we could do better. We could make something that works and we say turnkey. There's a, there's a, an engineering term there. We like a more turnkey version of this where, you didn't have to have an expert in your telemetry. That was all they did was just manage your telemetry systems. It was something that any of us could do like you can with those other products. And so we've started on that journey. We've been on it for, you know, I guess all these eight years now. And, uh, I I'm happy to say it's going really well. Um, I think Hydroview View, Hydro View does a really good job of presenting that cleanly. We've, we found along the way, as we got into it, that a lot of those issues were coming from people that that uh, they wanted they didn't want to think about the cellular network, mm-hmm,
1: right? Mm-hmm. They
2: wanted to they wanted to they wanted to just have that all happen, um, like it does on your smartphone, right? Like we all have these opinions about how cell cell networks work from your from your phone. And uh, it doesn't work that way in a lot of environmental telemetry. It's like, it's very, you're putting in things like APNs. What, what even is an APN? No one knows. (laughs) Um, And, and you don't have to think about that when you slap a SIM card in your, in your device. In fact, you don't even have to think about that with your ring doorbell necessarily. Like you just. It just works, uh-huh. right? You just like scan a QR code, and away it goes.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And we got there. It's so much backend work to like we we have a whole international SIM card, you know, tied into our 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 platform where you do scan a QR code, and it like it activates this SIM card that you never physically touched that lives inside the device, and it immediately starts sending data up to the to the right place so that you know it works. And um, when
0: you talk, when you say device, you're talking ViewLink.
2: Yeah, ViewLink yeah. is our is our key way. It's not the only way, but it's the key kind of internal product that mm-hmm. that connects, acts, acts as that uh, transportation of data, right? Like it's grabbing it off of whatever instrument you have, packaging it up and sending it up to wherever you want to go in the cloud. It doesn't have to be HydroView, nor does it have to be a ViewLink that talks to HydroView, but it all does work pretty well together. I mean, the key thing that anybody wants is, to, again, just like Tom said, you want your data. Yeah. Right. And, you know, in the environmental industry, we all have different things that we're doing. Sometimes you just need the latest set of readings. So it has a dashboard where you can set up custom cards that sort of show you exactly what the latest set of readings is. And you can kind of scroll through and make that work on your mobile device or on your desktop. It's got kind of the main screen that that sort of control hub for it is a set of time series that actually show you historical data. We, we are really proud of the way that our, uh, our NoSQL databases, to throw to, to throw a, <laughs> a random technical term in, um, we're really proud of the way that they work, and we can pull up just huge amounts of data um, in, we, we like to say, 100 series of data, as many years as you want, under five seconds. And it'll really do that. And so, you know, we, we looked at other, other places around the industry and you might, you might spend 15 minutes looking at a year of data to just generate a graph of data. Um, So we, we have a a way to go look at that and then you can take those and embed them straight into reports um, as you generate any sort of report that you need to do, and then there's a thousand other smaller features of things that it can do, from pre-processing your data to importing historical data that you didn't have connected to telemetry, to alarms, you know, multi conditional alarms that can you can set up big networks of if my turbidity is more than this and my dissolved oxygen is less than that, and you know, just big chains of them and get really sophisticated. Email, SMS, or even automated voice calls—if you—if you happen to need that on that side—and there are ten thousand other things that it does that I'm not talking about. But those are some of the big ones. So. <laughs> all, right, all right,
0: Tom, you're spending a lot of time with the platform. Um, I'm just curious how you set your development priorities for Hyde Review, and you know, just kind of big picture where you see this type of technology heading, and and how it's going to serve the users better.
1: Sure big focuses right now are on growth. Um, As Matt was mentioning, ViewLink, as we get more of those out into the world, the platform itself is just, it's a lot more data is coming into it. So we need to be able to handle that. Um, So the focus currently is on how to scale the technology properly to handle all of this growth that we're going through, um, but also making sure that we're up to date on all the tech stacks that are coming out the the cloud platforms are constantly changing there's new security protocols coming out there's updates to the libraries we use and we need to make sure that we stay current on those so that the system doesn't go down and so that our users can get the data that they rely on um, besides that, just thinking into the future how we can, how we can get more data into Hydroview and get more customers using it, how it would be more useful to our customer base, what we can do um, to get get everything up there so that customers have access to their data without thinking about it.
0: Great. Yeah, I guess it's not just about making something. It's about, um, you know, once you're in the cloud, there's a lot of other things to consider.
1: Right. The security is first and foremost with the team. And then besides that, it's it's really keeping keeping it running. There's a, a lot that goes on behind the scenes that the team needs to do to make sure um, the experience stays the same or better than what the customer is used to.
0: Okay. And of course, a third piece of this data access puzzle is the actual telemetry device, ViewLink. Which is the newest of the three, and so I'd love to hear a little bit of the origin story there, and um, and what you were hearing because this is when I was w- had just started the company. It was very interesting to me to understand that we had such a clear voice of customer on this product, and that the yeah. and we we really knew what the problems were. But um, yeah, tell us a little bit about that development process, Matt.
2: Yeah. Um I, I think I I got into a lot of it there cuz I it, it's like you said, uh, Viewlink and Hydroview they're they're very closely linked, right? Like we we knew that we wanted this certain experience of not being not having to think about your your data and all those kinds of things just just having it presented to you. Um but that that requires sort of this this full stack solution, right? Like you need your software to be a part of that vision. You need the hardware all the way down to the instrumentation, to that data transport, that telemetry layer, and then the way that it gets sent up there. And, and having control over all of those, like we do it in situ, like very few people do in this industry, um, it gave us the ability to sort of step back and maybe have a pretty big vision of what it might look like. Uh, but it really was transparency. I, I, ViewLink is awesome. Um, I love the people, you know, we, we hear lots of positive feedback on it and, and, in a weird way, the most positive feedback is, is there's a lot of people like, yeah, I haven't thought about my telemetry in a really long time. And I, we do, like, there's that, it's sort of like a good offensive lineman in football. <laughs> like you don't, like, the best ones are the ones that never get their number called. right? And you're right. never like, oh man, you get out that sack. I, I think ViewLink is sort of the offensive lineman of the whole situation, right? Like there, it's, it should be transparent. That's what, that's what we really want out of our telemetry.
0: What did it have to have to be better?
2: Um, so really automation of a lot of those, those deep tasks, things like setting up SIM cards that I mentioned, or detecting the instruments that are connected to it, or, you know, how do I even turn the darn thing on? Like Mm -hmm. what kind, what kinds of batteries does it use? Like, I mean, good, good grief. Like this, we here at InSitu, we're, we're from, from the United States here, but we, we are a global company. And there are many countries that, you know, you can't even send certain kinds of batteries to, certain kinds of electronics. And and so that was a huge consideration as we went through this, was thinking about places where we don't wanna have a dozen of these devices, you know, one that works in Australia, one that works in China, one that works in the United States. So finding the right technology stuff, you know, that was a, that was a, a problem that we heard from people that we took to the engineers and we found, we have a single device that works anywhere in the entire world. Um, and it can use battery technologies that work anywhere in the entire world. Um, and I mean, those were <laughs> tremendous hurdles, but they, they come back to that same point of we're just making it transparent. It, it, it you know, it just works. And that's, that's kind of a cliche in engineering these days, but that, that's the experience we're going for. We can always do better, of course, mm-hmm. but the, a lot of the successes, a lot of the wins are places that you are not thinking about your SIM card. You're not thinking about your battery technology. You're not thinking about how the heck do I turn this thing on? Um, why or
1: did I turn it on?
2: Yeah. Did I turn it on? Yeah, you know, really well on a view link. I mean. LEDs that glow like the sun. there's there's a story from viewlink. Oh. we our first alphas came back, and uh, we had this idea for the the top of viewlink has these LEDs on it that light up and tell you all the different statuses of the device. and uh, we we immediately got it into user testing we started you know grab some some kids from a local university and started going through it and, you know people that don't have experience with the product not we always want to try and get people that have that mix of not being in the building not knowing you know how it's supposed to work And, uh, and, and working towards, uh, but they they still have the right level of knowledge that they're representative in terms of how we do that testing. And immediately it was like, I cannot see these LEDs (laughs) and they went, we, we got the brightest darn LEDs you could possibly find, um, that, that did some of these things. And, um, they are the brightest, um, multicolor LEDs on the market available at that time. And they were not even close to bright enough in the direct sunlight, uh, here in, here in sunny Colorado. And, uh, and so we, we had to step back. This is a, this is a really cool engineering story. It was like, okay, well that's not going to work. Um, we, what are we going to do? And so we ended up blowing up the entire, um, all the, all the different ways that LEDs were supposed to communicate. We, we were going to depend a lot on colors and things. And one of our new UX people at that time, he, he noted, he, he was like, Hey, you know, you were talking about using a lot of colors and things for different things. That's really bad for colorblind users. And I mean, that's a concern for us is, is all that kind of thing. And so we, it was actually a really positive step for us. So we switched to less multicolored LEDs that, that glow like the sun. Um, <laughs> they are really intense, and uh, but they are visible in all situations. And we were able to g- change a lot of that design language into stuff that is more universally applicable across all different kinds of cultures and needs and all that, all that th- kind of stuff.
0: So now we have a mobile app to replace clunky handhelds. We have um, this simple to use telemetry device. We have this robust platform. So Tom, has there just been a magical wholesale migration for all users to use these?
1: I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) I would hope so, but not yet. Um, we're still getting the, the word of in situ out there. Um,
0: what are some of the challenges? What do you bump into?
1: If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Ah, that powerful. Is,
2: that is one of the. that's one of the biggest things, right?
1: Yeah, like, I think the, that that Matt kind of nailed that one. And I think one of, as Matt was saying, when somebody doesn't have anything to say, that's usually a good sign. And once people do use the software, it just kind of clicks. You don't have to read a manual and think about it. So it's it's really that transition of um, getting people into our instrument ecosystem so that they can then use the software
0: is there a trust issue like if I set this and I know it's 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 supposed to work it's probably gonna work but then I'm gonna walk away
1: there's cause... always a trust issue with telemetry oh yeah um I think with the our other instruments not so much but we're we still need to convince the user base out there that the telemetry is reliable and that things are working. We we do give a lot of signals within HydroView and the app itself that everything's working. But then, you know, if you've driven six hours or flown somewhere to get to a telemetry device, you want to make damn sure that it's working before you leave so that you don't have to spend all that money to get back there. And so what are some of the prime motivators
0: to move towards app based monitoring and remote monitoring and continuous data collection. Matt, you want
2: to Yeah, I I mean just to to build on what Tom just said there. I I totally agree. Like we at InSitu are we're, we're a small piece of what all of our customers do, right? Like uh, people have bigger goals than than than, you know, their, their entire job is usually some people, and and I love and respect you. <laughs> or their whole job is you know getting a pH number or something in, in a particular in a particular way. But a lot of people have much larger goals that that they're a part of. Like I need to make this mine go. I need to make sure there's no water where we're building this skyscraper. I need to make sure there's no algae blooms up and down this coast. Like there's so many of these these places, right? Um, that that this is just a piece of what they're trying to do. And so we have to convince, we, as I hope this is a, a piece of it here is that we, we understand that there is, that it's gotta work. It's gotta work or you're missing on all these other objectives that you have in front of you as a customer. We, we, we hear that, we get that. And um, we are trying our absolute utmost to not not just make something that's easy to use and simple and all those kinds of things, but it really, really works. And it will it will in net sum save you a lot of time and money when you go do it in when you go use telemetry when you go use a mobile app that these things are going to get a lot better for you. But there's a hurdle, right? If I I mean it's true of a lot of things in my life that if it if it ain't broke don't fix it. Like I said, um, and so it's just a question of how can we how we get you to try it? How we can how can we escalate those those pieces of you know, Hey, does it work in this smaller scale? And then we can try and grow it up in some other ways. And and we have really cool tools for how we can make that work. We are the only people in the industry that have rentals that come direct from our factory and we can use that. All you got to do is ask customer, like we'll, we will happily let you try this stuff out and you, it will be a truly, a truly representative experience to go make these things happen. And Make sure that they work for your situations, because there's I, that's one of the other things is that there are still situations that it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Maybe ViewLink is a cellular device. Maybe you're you're up in in the boondocks of yeah. of northern Canada or um, out in the Australian outback or the deserts of Mongolia, <laughs> like, and there isn't good cell service. I, I mean, we have a great team of people that are that are h- capable of helping you, helping you work out. You know, maybe there's better antenna things, there are best practices on how you can maximize those kinds of signals, but this is not a silver bullet. There are places that that it, it might not apply, and so we want to partner with you. I think that's, that's probably the key piece to it all, is that we want to partner with you to build that trust.
0: So Matt, yeah, you mentioned algae blooms, and I know that I've talked to a lot of customers that are, you know, more interested than ever with, of course, climate change, and uh, so prevalent in our conversations and our work, um, needing more data and getting those more frequent readings and looking for a, an economical and effective way to do that. It seems like this is the ticket.
2: Yeah, there's, I, I mean, we we have good algae sensors, our water quality platforms tip top. Um, there's a lot, but there are other people that have them and everything. But one of the really unique ways, I don't think people really think of software necessarily being one of the, the key components or or your, your data transport being a key component in in an algae monitoring system. Um, But it can be, it's, it's one of those things that we were out there looking for those problems for those places that people were, were frustrated, you know, people come back with stories like, okay, I need data every 15 minutes, every hour. Like we want to really get high frequency data to your point, Helen. That they wanted to for ha- harmful algal bloom monitoring, and, um, and so they're you know they're designing systems that have these gigantic solar panels on them, to, so that they can be you know, the the huge power requirements of making a connection to your your cellular network or satellite network, so that they can do that on their ongoing basis, um, or they're they're you know even to the point where they're like yeah I, I swap the batteries out on my telemetry every time I do a calibration, um, you know stuff like that. And, uh, and so when you combined, you know, on our instrumentation, we've got so much work done to, uh, to prevent fouling with these, this comprehensive anti-fouling solution that we provide with our wipers and all the other things so that you don't need to be out there. Our long-life pH, you can go much longer than some other people's gear without going out there to clean and calibrate. You can let it go for a lot longer. And then on the other side, you've got view links and HydroView that work together, you can actually just take readings. You can set them up to just take readings, and they maybe they very infrequently send up their data. But as soon as bad things start to happen or things start to change significantly, you set up those in-device alarms that we offer, and then it starts waking up the radio and sending that information. It does okay. this all in view situ with that mobile app that we started talking about. It's really simple to set up. And uh, doesn't you don't have to have a this huge cell phone plan that costs a ton of money? You don't have to have this big solar panel out there that you just. This is I think I said this a couple of questions ago, but like doing this, getting this user experience right, often really ends up saving you so much time and money in ways that you don't even really think about. This is a great example of right. one of those places that transparent, simple technology that works in a. kind of an unexpected way just can remove so much cost from your system, so much complication from your system.
0: Cool. And talking about some of these different applications, Tom, can you think of any other, you know, recent examples, stories, customers that you've spoken with where this, this data access is, and transmission and, um, just that, Ease of traffic <laughs> has really been uh, been helpful and made a difference.
1: Sure, I think one of the other amazing parts of Hydroview is the API that we have for it. So customers can interact with Hydroview to pull data out of it. So they have their own script that they've created, and it's able to interact with Hydroview, get the data that they need out of it, um, and put it into their system. So I've I've definitely talked with lots of customers that are not only do they have that ease of setup and the confidence that it's working correctly because they can log into HydroView and see it, but then they can get that data into their systems very easily and do whatever they need to, whether it's backing it up in a database or they actually run it through and they have their custom software that their users end up logging into. Their customer base might not be going into HydroView, but it gives them that really easy access to the data That we're getting into HydroView from ViewLinks from our instruments and then up to HydroView.
0: Okay, yeah, sure. Because a lot of these users are going to have their own platforms and their own because they're doing all sorts of things. To Matt's point, it's not just about getting the data right; it's what you do with it.
1: Right. right? You can completely customize how that data is presented to you or stored by you uh, via the API. Compliance
2: databases are, are one of the the really big use cases for those there. I think there's a lot of people that, you know, you, you talked about quiet disgruntlement um, mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from users. This was a not-so-quiet piece of disgruntlement that, that there's a lot of people that are locked into, I must use this system. Mm-hmm. And that is, this is how I get to my data. This is how I look at my data. And it was not designed for you to do your day-to-day operations and it's a real pain to work with and all these things. I mean, this is a way you can solve that problem, right? Like, is... Yes, you can still get your data in that system, but you have this even as it's going through the API and the, and the scripting interface. That's really simple, and we have code examples up on our website that can help you help you do that for any level of programmer that you have in your in your company. That's that's right up there at in in dash slash developer. <laughs> um, and uh, but you can when you get that working, you get this tool in Hydroview that you can you can. It's really simple to go look at your data and do your day to day. That isn't some Really outdated or clunky system that you need to use for regulatory compliance, or whatever the case may be, for whatever it is that you're doing. Um, that we have so many people that that has been a a pleasant surprise for them as they've gone into this system and like, oh wow, I got this whole other set of tools that I can use to to make my life easier and get so much time back. As even as this solves this issue of getting data into this old company database or this regulatory right. compliance system or whatever the case may be.
0: So Matt, just briefly, I mean, what have we done around data security?
2: Uh, briefly, because um, <laughs> there's a lot to talk about here. It's a very deep and nuanced topic. But you know, one of the kind of the state of the art of the industry, the, or maybe the the baseline state of the industry, is that a lot of telemetry just sort of FTPs, CSVs from place to place. FTP is a technology from the 1970s, and it is not secure. Um, and so, you know, we we continue to see. You know, if you, dear listener, have, have an IT department, they hate your FTP servers that are out there, I'm sure. And uh, so we have much more modern ways of dealing with that. We have you know, the little green padlock that pops up on your browser when you're connected to do e-commerce things and everything. We use that same technology between HydroView and ViewLink. They make an encrypted connection and your data is c- encrypted in transit so that you don't have to worry about that, just like your credit card number is, is encrypted as you go put it on this e-commerce platform or that e- e-commerce platform. That was uh, a really interesting piece of work to go make that happen. Um, there's there's a fair amount of horsepower needed on your Edge device that is power-hungry to go do that encryption, make sure that's happening in transit, and we have it on there. Um, found ways to make it work in a less power-hungry manner um, so that it can, it can encrypt that data in transit. And then once the data is up in HydroView, I mean, we follow... All industry standards that, that you could think of um, that, you know, making sure that we protect and salt and hash all the encrypted passwords mm-hmm. and, and all the things that you hear about. When somebody gets hacked that they weren't doing um we we do our best to go to go make those things happen so that your data is secured up in in the systems it's stored in many physical locations redundantly in different data centers in case there was some sort of physical issue with a server or something like that is not in a back room (laughs) and (laughs) at your company or at our company it Uh is it is done in hyper professional data centers very secure um, and all the data is stored in those as well, encrypted and safe. And we, we will never get rid of your data. Um, mm. it, it, even, you know, you, you stop paying for it or something like that, it, we, we still keep it up there for when you come back, um, unless you request it otherwise, of course. Um, but we keep it there so that you can be confident that we can help you recover in the case of any sort of issue.
0: How do you know what kind of plan you need within Hydroview? Review, Tom?
1: Yeah, we have a very easy to use plans and pricing page. So if you go to hydroview.com, hydrov u.com, uh there's a plans plans and pricing page and there's a calculator that walks you through. So you put in how many parameters you'll be collecting, how frequently you'll be collecting that data and then how often you want it uploaded to Hydroview and it recommends which tier you should select or which plan you should select. Um, And then the different plans have different features. So we actually have a free plan. So if somebody just needs to experience HydroView, get a little test run with it, they don't have to pay anything. Or if they want to send data, up to a third party system, they could utilize that system to control Hydroview. They could use HydraView to control their devices and then get the data into their third party system that way. Um, and we do offer that that free trial of all of our features for 15 months. And then they can choose after that, which plan has the features they need to carry them forward.
0: Okay. Cool. Tom, tell me about your team. Tell me what excites you about the work you guys are doing, how you work together.
1: Sure. Um, it's fun working with a group of super hyper-intelligent engineers and then very creative user experience professionals. Um, it It's a really good balance of how do we creatively solve problems for our customers. Um, it's, it's a lot of fun just to have these conversations about what the user is experiencing and how we could make their lives better. And then what technology do we have available? What can we do to make these, these new features for the customer that allow them to get their data easier? That, that really is what the driving force behind all of this is, is that we want we understand that they're not just using an aquatrol out there. They want to get the data from that aquatrol where they need it to be. So how can we make that better for the customer? Um, and then just having a lot of experience working with our support team and then in the field just thinking about the different ways we can improve upon what those trends had been in the in the industry, what it was like working out in the field and and needing to use your tough book that that doesn't want to hold a charge. Um, (laughs) So you have to head back to the truck every 10 minutes and charge it for a half hour. It makes for a a long day in the field. If you can just use your cell phone to collect the data, you don't even have to go out into the cold. Uh, You just sit there, it's plugged in charging and connect to your device and then move on.
0: And Matt, you know, sort of bigger picture when you look at, you know, your, your role and sort of steering this ship, what, uh, what keeps you up at night? What excites you? What are you thinking about, um, you know, where this industry is headed and how in situ is helping to guide
2: that. Sure. Uh, any competitors, please turn off your you your go. podcast right now. <laughs> um, we're no, I, uh, it's, it is incredibly exciting. We we're just, we're, it just feels like we're standing at the edge of so much stuff that we can do um, where, you know, as we build those partnerships with our customers, um, you know, we just, we want to get out there. We want to, we want to talk to them more. We want to hear more from them. And we, we have really good relationships set up um, as we hear more about where everything's headed. So I, I think, I, you know, the, I think the, the number one thing that I, that exciting is the, the wrong word for it. But like, as you look at, at PFOS monitoring or mm-hmm. microplastics and those kinds of things, like, our world is headed for a crisis around those and um i know that that is that is something that we we definitely want to be a part of helping be a solution for that um i think we can be uh, i think a lot of the stuff that we've talked about here in our software and solutions side um can be a huge part of that i know that um you know climate climate crisis type things we're we're already a big part of that everything we have today we're so thrilled to do more of that and find ways that we can do that better um, and then I, I think that there are some absolutely incredible technologies that are coming in terms of how we can better you know you think it's easy to use a cell phone uh, you know a glorified cell phone to send your data places what if what if it was even better than that what if what if you know instead of uh, here's what I'm passionate about as a long-term vision then I, I think we can get there but like what if what if you didn't even have to pull out your phone? To, to get your data, what if what if it was just you looked at a lake and it told you? Like, wow. I, I mean, there are there are partnerships, there are there are people, there are, there are technologies coming where you just you should be able to do that kind of thing. And I think that's going to become an expectation across the next 20, 10 to twenty years. And there are people working on this uh, outside our company, and we want to be a part of it inside our company.
0: Well, thank you so much, both of you, for taking the time out of your busy days, to talk with us about your work, the projects, what we've accomplished, and what we're working towards in the future. It's great to be a part of this team, and uh, can't wait to see what's next. So thank you very much.
2: Thank you, Helen. Thanks, Helen. Happy to be here.
0: This is Aquapod, brought to you by In Situ. You can find more episodes and subscribe to the podcast on our website, insitu.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen, share, and help us spread the word. This podcast was produced by Helen Taylor and Josiah Homeland and recorded at I25 Productions in beautiful Colorado. We look forward to bringing you more water monitoring stories from the field, and until then, take care out there.